IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. A very busy start to the season, including three straight weekends at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the NTT IndyCar Series took a break this past weekend. This came after a thrilling 105th Indianapolis 500 that saw fans return to the Indy 500 for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic began and a familiar and popular driver returned to victory lane. Elio Castroneves became the fourth four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500 and the first to accomplish that feat since Rick Mears in 1991. A.J. Foyt was the first when he won his fourth in 1977, and Al Unser joined Foyt with his fourth win in 1987. It was the first Indy 500 that the 46-year-old Castroneves drove for an operation other than Team Penske. Castroneves won the Indy 500 in his first two attempts at Team Penske in 2001 and 2002. He claimed a third Indy 500 win in 2009, but for the past 12 years, Castroneves was unable to find the path to victory lane at Indianapolis. Driving for Meyer Shank Racing, Castroneves battled second-year driver Alex Pillow of Spain to the checkered flag. It was the first NTT IndyCar Series win for the team owned by Jim Meyer and Michael Shank. Pit Pass Indy featured Castroneves, Mears, Shank, third-place finisher Simon Pagino, and many others on last week's show. This week, we'll focus on the other drivers in the top five at the 105th Indianapolis 500, as well as Rookie of the Year Scott McLaughlin from Team Penske. And with the 105th Indianapolis 500 completed, it's time to hit the streets of Detroit for this weekend's Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix at Belle Isle. Back-to-back races on Saturday and Sunday means another double points weekend for IndyCar drivers and teams as they attempt to catch our next guest as the leader in the standings. It's Alex Pillow of Chip Ganassi Racing, who takes a 36-point lead over teammate Scott Dixon in the Saturday's first race at Detroit's Belle Isle. Pillow finished second in last week's Indy 500 and joins us to reflect on that race while looking ahead to Detroit. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is Alex Pillow, who finished second in the 105th Indianapolis 500. What a fight to the finish you and Elio Castroneves had. I know you were pretty sad and pretty disappointed not to win the race, but when you look back at it, you got to really feel proud of the effort that you put out. Yeah, to be honest, I was sad and and a bit down um, the first three minutes when I jumped out of the car, but then I realized that I was in the Indy 500 um, driving the Chip Ganassi Racing um, 
and I was second. So there was only one person that was happier and more proud than me, and that was only Elio that worked so hard for this race. Uh, and it was an awesome battle, to be honest. Uh, we kept fighting until the end, which uh, we demonstrated that we are capable of it. Um, but he was a bit uh, braver this time. So it was his day, it was not my day, but uh, we kept it fighting. You took the lead with four laps to go. He took the lead with two laps to go. Looking back, do you think you made the move too soon? Or did you make the move because that was the time to make the move? You never know, right? Uh, yeah, now if it's, it's really easy to go over the race and, and try and say, oh, maybe if you waited one more lap, that would have been enough. Um, but I saw that we had a lap car that I could get the toe from it, which was uh, Felix. And it worked, it actually worked if you look back at the video, but then he pulled to do the last pit stop or I don't know if he had any problem or something. Um, and then that's when I was alone again. Um, and then when Elio um, overtook us, he got perfect traffic, so I couldn't really overtake him. But uh, yeah, I think I wouldn't change anything. Um, I would just try and keep doing the same and and yeah, it's gonna come down to next year. I, I cannot change anything from yesterday. And when you've got three cars behind in a draft, does that make it almost impossible to catch up in time? Yeah, that's the thing. When it's only two cars, it's a bit easier to pass and to get the most benefit from the toe. But as soon as there's like three or four cars in the pack, uh, you lose so much downforce. But to be honest, I felt like it was much better racing than we had last year, um, which I think it's awesome. We saw some guys that uh, started 30th or 20th and were on the podium like Simon. So um, I think we had the really good and, and close racing yesterday. Indy 500's over. Now it's off to Detroit for the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix at Belle Isle. Back-to-back -back races, so it's almost like another double points weekend. You struck gold yesterday with double points. You're now the NTT IndyCar Series points leader, so another double points weekend you could open up a pretty good gap. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, since the beginning, the number 10 NTT data Honda car, it's been, it's been super good. And, and we'll try and, and just keep improving and keep getting uh, the best we can. And uh, we have now two continuous podiums uh, in the road course, Indy 500 and three podiums during the season so far. Um, so we are um, off to a great start. But to be honest, we're going to Detroit. I don't know that track. It's a street course. It's going to be tough, and I only get one hour of practice before qualifying. Um, so it's going to be super tough, to be honest, but uh, we'll try and do the best uh, session by session, lap by lap. Yeah, but you've looked pretty good so far in the permanent road courses and the street courses. Do you feel like you're going to be in this championship battle all the way to the bitter end? That's the goal. That's the goal. I think we have some some courses, some, some races that uh, I'm going to be super... Um, super strong and we know Road America and Mid-Ohio, I know them from last year and, and we were super strong so um, yeah, we'll try and fight uh, with Scott until the end and hopefully the Chip Ganassi racing car um, is the winner. You came pretty close to winning the Indianapolis 500 and I know that you like to eat fried chicken after a victory came pretty close to being taken to the iron skillet a couple of miles from the track too and all in all, it was your first Indy 500 with the crowd and how cool was that man to be honest the first time i really realized how big and how amazing it was when i was walking through gasoline alley and suddenly i saw the all the stadium full of people and cheering people and i was like wow i felt like a rock star for um a couple of hours when we did also the uh driver intros and yeah that was awesome so 
it's amazing to be part of this show and it's a dream come true for sure. Alex Palou, congratulations on your runner-up finish in the Indy 500. Good luck in the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Bruce. Simon Pagano of Team Penske finished third after starting 26th in the Indy 500. He passed more cars for position than any other driver in the race. Pagano is heading to Detroit where he drove to victory in 2013 when he was still racing for team owner Sam Schmidt. Pagano has four top three finishes in 15 starts at Belle Isle. He was sixth and 17th there in 2019, the last time IndyCar was able to compete in Detroit as last year's doubleheader was canceled because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining us now is Simon Pagano, driver of the number 22 Chevrolet at Team Penske. Indy 500's over, now it's off to Detroit. It's an important race for any driver that drives for Penske Racing, considering they own the track, they own the event. So how important is that race, especially being a doubleheader? Uh, it's very important. It's obviously, like you said, doubleheader, uh, two times 50 points for the win. So you can really make a lot of ground in, cha in the championship. And now we're, we're in a very good position, leaving Indy, uh, having finished third. Um, so I look forward to the what's coming up. And definitely in Detroit, with the Chevy engine, uh, you want to... You want to you stomp the competition if you can, so uh, we'll be trying. In years past, that race immediately followed the Indy 500. This year, there's a weekend break. How valuable is that, especially after a very busy start to the season and a month of May at Indy? It's one of the greatest news of 2021, quite frankly. Uh, I'm just today very tired. You know, there's so much adrenaline after Indy, um, so much excitement. I couldn't sleep the night after the race, so um, it's pretty much... Uh, a night with no rest. Um, but the biggest thing is, is you want to regroup. You want to sit down with your team and have the time to recover and attack the next weekend. So we're going to do that. The street race program at Team Penske has always been very strong. So how much does that give you confidence heading into the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix at Belle Isle? Certainly at uh, St. Pete, we were very strong and we've made great stride on the on the race, great stride on the race car. So I expect to, uh, Detroit to be the same. Uh, I look forward to it, actually. And it's the home of the Penske Corporation, so you got to make sure all your shirts are starched and all your suits <laughs> are pressed because uh, yeah. you're going to meet a lot of important people that weekend. We might have a, a few meetings, a few dinners, and I'll make sure to bring a few suits, yes. <laughs> Simon Pagano, good luck in the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix, and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you, Bruce. Pato Award of Mexico finished fourth in the Indy 500 after the 22-year-old driver from Mexico led 17 laps. He heads to Detroit just 37 points out of the NTT IndyCar Series points lead and only one behind Scott Dixon for a second place in the standings. Joining us now is Pato Award of Errol McLaren SP Racing. You're coming off of a great finish in the Indianapolis 500. Now it's off to Detroit, a doubleheader. There's a lot of points at stake in back-to-back -back days, so your battle for the championship is going to be another important weekend in Detroit. No, for sure, man. And, you know, there's so much racing ahead, and we just we, we need to keep our heads down, keep pushing, try and maximize everything we've got. And um, it's been two years since we've been to Detroit, so I think... Uh, for everyone, it's going to be kind of like a, you know, let's see practice on and let's see where we stack up and see where we are, where we're at. Um, but man, I like Detroit. I enjoy going there. I like that track. Um, 
we just need to we need to really maximize what we've got, and you know, a couple of podiums would not be bad. Is it a very important race to qualify well because it's kind of a tight racetrack? Yes, it is. It is very important to start up front um, because passing is is not easy at all. And as far though as back to back street races. Does that take more out of you than, say, the doubleheader did at Texas on the Oval? Um, man, the thing with Texas is that that Oval specifically is physical and it kind of mentally exhausts you. Detroit is more like a beating. Um, but I think in Ovals, you have to be more on your game mentally to really nail everything because it's 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 so sensitive and, and if you get something wrong you're flying off into the wall um obviously detroit there's only walls around you but I, I i mean in my opinion street courses and road courses are a bit more forgiving than a super speedway um but yeah man it's it's gonna be tough these cars are beasts and they're tough to handle especially when you're you know you're going through bumps and um and, you know, you put new tires on and uh, battling with other guys out there and really just pushing it to the maximum. And then a weekend after that is going to be a track where you nearly got your first career victory, Road America, the last time IndyCar raced there last July. You got to really be excited about going back. Man, I am. I mean, I enjoy going to Road America. It's not, it's not one of my favorites, but it's definitely not the one, not, not one of the ones that I say, like, ah, I don't want to go. Uh, but, man, it's, it would be really cool to to get the result that I wanted there last year, which was a win. Uh, that'd be really cool, too. I feel like we have some uh, sort of unfinished business there. And reflecting back on the Indy 500, I spoke with you after the race. You were disappointed in finishing fourth, especially when you were up there battling for the win. But now having some time to reflect on it, you have to look back and say, that was still a good experience yeah, that I'm going to take with me. Um. Man, I saw the race yesterday, and I think we did everything perfectly. The car was handling well. Pit stops were perfect. Strategy was perfect. I didn't make any mistakes. Everything everything we did was for the win, and, and what annoyed me was we did everything perfect, and we didn't win because we just didn't have the speed in the end. That's just the plain truth, and um, we need to come back next year and work harder because... I don't know, man. It's just, it, it, it was, uh, it kind of stung me because these opportunities don't come often where you're, you know, it's such a long race. So many things have to go. So, so many things that you can't control have to go kind of in your, in your way to be able to just have a chance at it at the end. And it just sucks to not have that, that extra bit of speed that we needed to get them. And does it just underline how difficult it is to win the Indianapolis 500? You can uh, have a perfect day and still not win the yeah, race. Yeah, I think that's what, what makes it so special is that you can have a perfect day and you might not win it. Sometimes you can have the perfect car and you might not win it. Why? Because you got hosed by a yellow or someone came and hit you. I mean, who knows? And, um, you know, yesterday we were lucky that well, obviously we didn't get hit. We didn't get into contact with anyone, which which always is a risk. So um, when you look back at it and you see the points that we got for the championship, I think it was a, it was a very strong weekend for us. Pato Award's going to have some perfect days in his career, maybe even some more this season. Thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you. 
Ed Carpenter is the only owner-driver in the NTT IndyCar Series and had plenty to be proud of after the Indianapolis 500. One of his drivers, Connor Daly, led the most laps in the race with 40 before his car was damaged by Graham Rahal's flying wheel. Daly was still able to finish 13th. Renus VK started third and led 32 laps before finishing eighth. Carpenter started fourth and finished fifth in the number 20 Sonex Chevrolet, his third top five finish and second top five in the past four years at Indianapolis. Joining us now is Ed Carpenter, who finished fifth in the Indianapolis 500, driving the number 20 Sonax Chevrolet for Ed Carpenter Racing. Ed, you had two drivers in the top 10, and you had another driver who led the most laps in the race, 40 by Connor Daly. So how would you assess the entire race? Uh, it was a tough race. It was a, kind of a weird race, the way, it, the way it flowed. You know, not much. It was a clean race on track, not very clean in the pits. Um, so kind of weird with guys running out of fuel on the first yellow with the pit lane crash. So a lot of things got turned upside down. Um, but really proud of the team, you know, to have three cars that, that all were a factor at, at one point in the day, you know, is a ton of credit to, to the whole ECR team and everything they do to, to give all three of us a great chance yesterday. When Connor Daly took the lead, the crowd erupted in a huge roar. You probably couldn't hear it because you were I driving saw, I inside. I saw a video of it. Yeah, but I mean, that was pretty cool. You got to feel pretty cool about the support your team gets at this event as the hometown team. Yeah, we feel it. You know, I, Connor and I are, you know, there's a lot of us that live here now, but we're really the only two that grew up here in Indy. Um, and we definitely, we definitely feel the love and support of the community and it does a lot for us. So I know he, I know he was bummed to be where he was, but also really excited to, to finally lead some laps here. You've raced a lot against Elio Castroneves. Yesterday was an historic day. Came the fourth four-time winner of the Indy 500. What are your thoughts? Uh, really happy for him. You know, he, he deserves it. He's, he's worked his butt off and He'd been chasing that fourth one for a while, um, you know, after he left IndyCar and wasn't full-time anymore, and after he was fully gone from Penske, I know that he was unsure what his chances were going to be to do it again. So um, really cool to see him come and, and accomplish that, and I'm sure it's going to keep him around for a while longer too, so we, have, we probably haven't seen the, the last of Elio just yet. And now it's off to Detroit where you become full-time team owner. What's the uh, prospects for both Renus VK and Connor Daly in that race. Um, I'm excited. You know, it'll be it'll be a new new track for Renus um, since we didn't race there last year. Uh, but he's a he's a quick study, strong on street courses, so I'm sure he'll get up to speed. Um, and it, I know Connor's excited to go there. He's he's been on the podium at Detroit and really really likes that track. So um, hopefully we can keep the momentum rolling. Ed Carpenter, thank you on a solid effort in the Indy 500. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season.
Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Scott McLaughlin of New Zealand was one of only two rookie drivers in this year's Indianapolis 500. He started 17th and finished 20th, but that was enough for the Team Penske driver to win this year's Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year Award. McLaughlin talks about his race and what's ahead in Detroit as he represents Team Penske in a race that is owned and promoted by the Penske Corporation. Joining us on Pit Pass now is the 2021 Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year, Scott McLaughlin from New Zealand. Scott, I'm sure when you came over to Team Penske, that was a big goal that you wanted to achieve was Indy 500 Rookie of the Year. Yeah, it was, but I, I did want to finish 20th doing it. So I, I'm a little disappointed. It's, it's uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, fantastic at the Rookie of the Year, very privileged. And me and Pietro had a great battle all race. We were battling, which was quite good. And um, credit to him, but uh, yeah, just just made a simple mistake that cost me big, and and I uh, felt like we really sort of threw away a little bit of a, a decent result there. Your first Indy 500 experience was it? They always tell a rookie what to expect at the start of the race, but was it that times ten? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was just it's all new, you know. You get in a feel for like what uh, what the 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 race. It persists off you don't actually get to practice a lot of the things that happens in the race so yeah i was learning a lot of things on the run including petting off turn four but at the end of the day it was uh i felt like it was a pretty good thing a pretty good race mostly it's just i made one blip and unfortunately you can't have that you can't you got to be perfect here and someone like alio has done it four times now he's been perfect and uh it's amazing you replaced alio as you know as one of the cars in the indy 500 yeah. he ran for the team for the last since 2000, 2001 in Indy. What was it like that in your first Indy 500, the guy that was one of your, that you followed at Team Penske ends up winning the race for another team? I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I think it, you, you couldn't ask for, in some ways, as a driver, you don't like seeing anyone else win, but at the end of the day, you couldn't ask for a better champion. The way that he uh, portrays the sport and basically makes us all look like superheroes, he tells the story amazingly and very passionately. And uh, yeah, I just think he's a great champion. So um, 
look, there's no bad blood between us for me coming in and being the young guy, but he knows things move on. And But he's been through the whole process. He's always been respectful and we've always had a, a, a great rapport with each other. And, you know, I certainly wish him all the best in the future. What did you think of the race day atmosphere, the vibe, the yeah, excitement? Amazing. Uh, something I've never experienced before. Very unique to this place only. And I can't imagine with another 100,000 odd people here, you know, on uh, on the actual day or another 200,000, so next year. So certainly looking forward to 2022 for a lot of reasons, but that, that, the fans are certainly one of them. No rest for Scott McLaughlin. Now you're testing. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I head to Wisconsin on uh, on Wednesday, and oh, sorry, tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm going to, um, yeah, basically uh, – Go through my, my miles there and see if I can get some running on uh, Road America with, uh, I think, Grosjean's going to be there, Johnson, a few others. And, um, yeah, get a little bit of a head start before we get there at the end of the June. Now it's going to be off to the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. It's another important race for the team owner because yeah. he owns that racetrack too. Yeah. So, I mean, are your shirts going to all be starched, your suits pressed? Because <laughs> he's going to make sure you meet a lot of important people that weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Very strong, a very important race for not only Penske but Chevrolet as well. And, uh, yeah, today heading there with, with the uh, PBG Chevy is going to be pretty cool. And I think we're going to hopefully uh, – I'm going to learn a lot that weekend because double header and it's going to be tough. And they say to screw in your fillings and make sure they're all sorted because it's pretty bumpy as well. So, see how we go. It's also the home of the Penske. Corporation, and it's also where Roger lives. Yep. Does that add any more uh, pressure, responsibility to what you need to do at Detroit? I've just been to a place that he owns, so in terms of any, so I know what the expectation is, and uh, yeah, we, we, it's it's no different to any other race. But the big event for you next weekend is as you continue to. As Scott McLaughlin continues to discover America, you're, they're going to take you to Lafayette, Coney Island, and American Coney Island. Yeah. So are you ready for that? Yeah. Is your, is I don't your know. stomach going to be able to handle back-to-back -back stops at yeah. those places? I don't know, mate. It's uh, I'm, I'm learning America very quickly. I love America. Everyone's very been amazingly very nice. And, um, yeah, okay, we're, we're on a roll for sure. Scott McLaughlin, the 2021 Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year at Team Penske. Good luck and thank you for joining us on Pit Pass Indy. Thanks, Bruce. In a special crossover between Pit Pass Moto and Pit Pass Indy, our final guests are the hosts of Pit Pass Moto, PJ Duran and Dave Selecki. The history of motorcycle racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway dates all the way back to the track's opening in 1909. Balloon races were the first events ever held at the Speedway, but later that year, a series of motorcycle races took place before the first auto races were ever held at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. More recently, IMS was the site of MotoGP from 2008 to 2015. We compare IndyCar and motorcycle racing in this special crossover interview. Joining us on the show now is Pit Pass Moto hosts, PJ Doran and Dave Selecki. We're going to do a little bit of an interesting crossover here where I get a chance to talk to the host at Pit Pass Moto about some of the things on their show. And one of the first things I want to ask both of you is, a lot of my uh, uh, show is based around stuff that happens at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but there's probably not a lot of people that realize that in the very beginning of that place, the first motorized events they ever held there were motorcycle races way back June 5th, 1909, when the Indianapolis Motor Speedway was built. Um, so how much, there, there seems to be a great connection there in the history of motorcycle racing 
and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that I'm not so sure a lot of our fans really know about. I would agree with you. Our fans, being motorcycle guys, maybe are a little more aware of that than the average spectator for a motorized event. But you're absolutely right, Bruce. Um, It's an amazing facility that has the longest history, essentially, that one can have in the United States with uh, racing, right? Yes, I mean, it's, it's kind of a situation where, especially around the centennial celebration that they had for the track that ran from 1909 to 1911, they brought back the balloon race, which was the first type of race they ever had out there in 1909. The motorcycle races were actually in August of 1909. They had a two-day, 15-race program, but it ended the first day because of concerns over suitability of the track surface. That led to the track eventually being paved with bricks, giving it its name, the Brickyard. But I also know in more recent times, from 2008 to 2015, it was the host of the uh, Moto One, Moto GP at uh, Indianapolis, which I'm sure both of you attended. And that was a highlight to a lot of motorcycle fans was the chance to be able to go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What did you guys think of it? Absolutely. As a native Midwesterner, I had not attended a MotoGP event as a lifetime motorcycle fan and racer. I'd been to races, uh, road races at our national level, but I'd never made it to California, which was initially the only option for MotoGP. So when they announced Indy, I was there every single year they had the event. And that was my first live experiences going to the facility, honestly, Bruce. And it was an amazing time. Indianapolis, I learned immediately, they know how to throw a race party. Uh, I went and attended the the flat tracks at the Indianapolis State Fairground, saw the heroes of my life, uh, Kenny Roberts, Valentino Rossi, Nikki Hayden, famous road racers uh, that have flat track history doing that as well. And I was just always impressed by how awesome the show was at Indy, how big that place is, uh, I guess, for car fans. You're used to seeing the stands full. 100,000 people disappear in that place, as in they're not, it doesn't look like there's anyone there. Well, that's one of the uh, downsides to hosting events there. I know the first couple of, uh, the, the first U.S. Grand Prix Formula One race, they filled the place and had about 200,000 people for that one. But over the years, as the crowd's dwindled, uh, it it really looked like, where are the people? Well, if you're going to go to a road course race, one of the last places you're going to sit in is the front stretch on the front straight, because all you're seeing there is just the front straight. If you want to see the action, you got to go to the spectator mounds or to one of the grandstands where you can see the turns. And I think in a lot of ways that misled people as to the actual size of number of people that were in the crowd that day. Did you experience that when you were there? Absolutely. And and endlessly, I went with like-minded motorcycle fans and it was a weekend event, very much what people I understand do for the Indianapolis 500. You set up a campsite and you walk into the facility for three or four days in a row, uh, taking in the entirety of the event. And yeah, the place felt empty um, when it was one of the most well-attended motorcycle events in the United States uh, to that point, uh, they had numbers that rivaled any other single-day motorcycle event, and the place really did 
feel startlingly empty. You never felt as if you were in line for anything other than the stairway over the track when it was the end of the day. And also, the it, it was a fairly popular event amongst motorcycle fans when MotoGP was there. Has there been much talk uh, from your side uh, uh, following motorcycle racing of convincing Roger Penske, the new owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, to bring motorcycle racing back to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? So it's in, that's a very interesting question. I don't believe the desire to race there ever diminished amongst the racers or the fans because, again, every event they held there uh, over the course of years that they did have the MotoGP combined with Moto America event and some other events, USGPRU raced uh, as an opening act. They, they gave a full weekend of racing. Everyone's still interested. It was on the calendar last year for our national road race series, Moto America. Uh, Sadly, COVID changed that. I think it's down to scheduling. And MotoGP is, of all of our racing series that we talk about on Pit Pass Moto, MotoGP is the one that seems to have the most scheduling restrictions as far as bringing racers that race globally and internationally to the U.S. There have been... It seems like they're having a little bit of a time. So I don't think that it's it's related to interest. I think it's related to currently logistics. How do we bring the entire circus to the U.S. and then get them on the road to the next country with the least amount of headaches? Because that's one thing that happened last year. Racing happened, but they really had hard times getting from one country to the next. And for some of the IndyCar fans that may not be able to follow MotoGP with the type of fervor that they follow IndyCar with, what can you tell us about this season? Uh, I I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Fabio Cordero of France. Tell me if that was pronounced correctly. You are very, very much, that, that is a common pronunciation, Cordero, I think is, closer, is his, closer to his home French language. This season in MotoGP, in a nutshell, is a, is a grab bag right now. Corderaro sits atop the points, certainly, but Mark Marquez is returning from a season-ending uh, injury last year that took the perennial favorite uh, dominant racer out of the series. We've all been, he's back, he's in racing action. Sadly, he's got a crash habit now as he tries to regain his form. Um, he hasn't re-injured himself, thankfully, but he had some very serious injuries that not a lot of people knew about. He had some bone, um, bone-related issues uh, with uh, – he wasn't healing properly, and it was a little more serious than he let on for how dominant a racer he is. So right now, the world is shaking itself up, and it's anybody's race this season. And I, I know another Frenchman, uh, Johan Zarco, is also uh, second in the standings, having a great season. Uh, one of the questions I've got, do you look at Marquez's injury situation as being the answer to the question, what's wrong with Honda? I don't. Well, it, certainly it shows Honda. There was one guy who could ride the Honda very, very fast and be dominant on it. No one else can step in and do that, akin to what we saw uh, 14, 15 years ago with the Ducati that was unusable, arguably, in some really talented riders' hands. But when one Casey Stoner was on it, he could be uh, j- absolutely dominant in the style that Marquez currently is when he's on his game. Uh, so, yes, I think Honda is 
being forced to look at their product and say, yeah, maybe we should, maybe he's the reason we were doing so well. Um, and we need to redevelop it for the average human being to ride. And for either one of you to jump in on this one, will this be Valentino Rossi's final season? I know that the arguably the greatest driver of MotoGP is 19th in points, but he wanted to retire in front of full stands, not half-filled stands or empty stands. What's your thoughts on whether this will be Rossi's final season? I don't know, PJ. That might be right up your alley, but I think everybody's asked that same question for the last, what, 10 years? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the impression I get from Rossi uh, watching other interviews, not just the ones that make mainstream media or at the racetrack, he has a lot of fun on a motorcycle. He now runs his own VR46 Academy slash race team, and he's branching out to have riders in every level, and not just in the Moto3 lowest lowest level, lowest horsepower class. He's now got Moto2 riders and a MotoGP bike. I think he's setting himself up for the day I don't enjoy doing this, I can step right over the wall and be the crew chief or the, the big boss. Um... And it looks good on him, but absolutely his performance isn't making him happy. Uh, he's, But he strikes me as a guy who's pretty comfortable with uh, what he's done in life. Uh, if he quits having fun, he could quit midseason. Other than contractual obligations, uh, he's the guy who theoretically could do that, wouldn't you think, Dave? Yeah, that and that, you know, there's no question. That's the guy that fills the stands a lot of weekends. They just want to see Rossi ride. So, you know, it behooves him for the fan base to be out there. I think, and again, uh, he seems to have the long goal in mind. He is building an empire, which we see in every form of racing. I want to do this forever. I can't ride forever, race forever. Drivers do it in auto world too. He's setting things up so that he can maintain his involvement in the only thing he really knows very, very well. And that's road racing. And just wrapping up here with Pit Pass Moto host P.J. Duran and Dave Selecki, if you would were to be asked by an IndyCar fan or a listener of Pit Pass Indy, the biggest reason why they should start following motorcycle racing, what would your answers be? I would say the number one thing is what you love about auto racing is present in motorcycle racing. You get the added bonus of... Uh, it's even closer when you see two dudes at incredible speeds, rubbing elbows, it impresses anyone who enjoys watching racing. It's not just door handles. They are laying hands on one another at what seemed to be uh, ridiculous uh, moments in time. And it's absolutely par for the course for these riders to do it. Uh, the control they exhibit and display is, is mind bending. And if you know what you're looking at, it's, it's impossible not to stare. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, PJ. And they have, you know, there's that expression that four wheels move the body, but two wheels move the soul. And uh, that's exactly how I feel about motorcycle racing when I see it. So it's it's exactly what you said. It's that it's that movement and in, in, uh, in sync with the vehicle that uh, that you don't experience in any other sport. And I, I urge anybody to go out and see it. And for those who uh, regularly tune in to Pit Pass Indy, uh, how can they uh, find your show? Uh, what podcast platforms are you on? And is there any social media you would like to uh, let them know about? We are on all popular platforms available for podcast downloads. You can check us out uh, at pitpassmoto.com. We also have a blog on that website you can check out and uh, see what's on our minds. 
Um, PJ, am I missing anything other than social media sites, Facebook, Instagram? The social media stuff, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, pitpassmoto.com. Start there and you can check out our blog too. All right. Well, it's been a, a fascinating uh, couple of minutes to catch up with uh, the fellow members of the Pit Pass family. Uh, of course, I'm the host of Pit Pass Indy, Bruce Martin, PJ Duran, Dave Selecki of Pit Pass Moto. Thank you for joining us today. Want to say thanks to Evergreen Podcast for putting both of us out there, too. Thanks again, Bruce. Thank you. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today, including NTT IndyCar Series points leader Alex Pelot after he finished second in the Indianapolis 500. Also, third place Indy 500 finisher Simon Pagano of Team Penske, fourth place Pato Award, fifth place Indy 500 finisher Ed Carpenter, and 2021 Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske. Along with loyal listeners like you, they help make pit pass into your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.